The word gospel has many, many skins. We predominantly think of the word gospel meaning the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and maybe even Acts. But the dynamics change here a little bit when we think about um, when was the gospel first preached, who preached it, and whom did they preach it to? I'm Robert Winfield, and this is Chapter House. This is part one of a four-part series on the gospel and its governing principles. I divided it up into digestible bits with this being the introduction to the blessing. Literally, gospel means good news. The news, of course, is something that has happened. We use the phrase, it's the gospel truth, gospel music, or of course, the complete gospel recordings of Elvis. Synonyms for the gospel include dogma, faith, authority, truism, creed, or belief. But there are two scriptures that turn our idea of what the gospel is upside down and represent a pondering question as far as to our traditional view of what the gospel is. Galatians and Hebrews. Hebrews 3.16 and 4.2 For the people having heard rebelled. Indeed, it was not all that came out of Egypt led by Moses. For unto us the gospel was preached as well as unto them. But the gospel word preached did not profit them since it wasn't mixed with faith in those that heard it. They didn't believe it could be true. Galatians 3.8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen or godless through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in you all nations will be blessed. So the gospel was preached by God to Abraham over 2,000 years before Jesus, and then again to Moses and the children of Israel in the desert. And it seems it was the same gospel that Paul heard because he says unto us, Paul and company, was the gospel preached as well as unto them being Moses and all those who came out of Egypt. So how does this mix with our contemporary notions of what the gospel is? What gospel was God preaching before the cross? It was the blessing of Abraham. He was saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. The word bless is from the Greek word meaning to confer benefits on, or the blessings received or expected. The word confer means to grant or bestow a gift or an award. It's from a Greek uh, root word that means to cause to prosper, to make happy, to bestow blessings on, or to be the favorite of God. Now, you could rightly say the gospel is Jesus came to die for our sins, and that's true in addition to what Galatians says that God told Abraham that he would justify the heathen through faith. In that, all nations would be blessed. However, our traditional thoughts on this are incomplete. In our layman terms, we get to go to heaven when we die 
And that's what the gospel has been made into. What Jesus did when he died was to create the qualifier for us to receiving the blessing uh, that is inoculated through salvation. Salvation was the qualifier for the blessing. In reality, when we get saved or born again, we can now walk on into the blessing. That's good news, right? That's what the gospel means. The blessing of the Lord overtakes the curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. In those verses, we find the curse, the blessing, and the promise. That's what the whole gospel is about, being redeemed from the curse, receiving the blessing, and inheriting the promises. The blessing of Abraham is given to the Jews through inheritance, and it comes on the Gentiles, or Christians, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we receive that Holy Spirit promise through faith as well. And we'll look into that more later. We're grafted into the seed of Abraham. For Paul to make that statement in Galatians, it must be significant, right? Now the blessing and the curses are found in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. The blessing, which is enumerated in Deuteronomy 28.3.13, is sort of sandwiched between two discourses on the curses. The curse is made up of three parts. One, spiritual death. Two, sickness and disease. Three, poverty and lack. Jesus took care of the number one issue in order that the blessing would overtake us and take care of the other two issues. The blessings and the curses are all delineated by Moses who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament that are included uh, in the lineage of Abraham. We must also remember that the message of Jesus was that the kingdom has come, not you go to the kingdom when you're dead and done. What we're missing is that being born again isn't the end game. We think that once we're heaven bound, the biggest part of our life has been accomplished. But the biggest part of our life comes immediately after being born again and that we can change our lives. Once we change our minds, we can change our hearts and then our lives and then other people's lives. Let's look at what the blessing entails in Deuteronomy. All these blessings will come down on you and spread out beyond you. Blessed shall you be in the city and country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all which you set your hands to. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground. You shall be above only and not be beneath. He will bless you in the land which your Lord, your God, has given you. But shout, remember, the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, 
which he swore unto, thee, unto thy fathers as it is this day. Let's look at some of our Old Testament examples of how the blessing manifests. Abram. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And the Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, and men servants and maidservants and camels. Let's look at his son, Isaac. Isaac became rich. His wealth continued to grow until he became very rich. He had many flocks and herds and servants. Isaac had so much that the Philistines became jealous of him. And let's look at his son, Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Then there was Moses. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed or took of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there, there, were, there was not one of them that was feeble or sick among their tribes. Then there was Job. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yokes of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. So, salvation is the container of what Jesus taught, but the blessing is the contents of that container. All of what we just saw is the result of the blessing. Now, slow down, slow down a little. I can hear you saying it now. Is this all about prosperity and greed? I understand. We've all been told that prosperity is bad. And if you're totally anti-prosperity, don't worry about it. You'll never be troubled with it. But the blessing also includes healing and divine health, as we just saw in Psalms 105.27. And there was not one feeble or sick person among their tribes, as well as God saying, I am the God that heals you. No, it's not as narrow as um, money. It's all about provision, increase, demonstration, expansion, being fruitful, healing, and taking dominion. Or leading an abundant life through the blessing of Abraham. We can help support the gospel again and again through ministries of our own or others and meeting the needs of the saints. It's very difficult for a pastor to build a church with no financial resources. It's very difficult to take a mission trip, as you, some of you may know, with no financial resources. It's very difficult to open a soup kitchen for the poor with no financial resources. It's very difficult to build an orphanage with no financial resources. You get my drift. Here's a bit of experience I had dealing with someone who was happy with enough. I was talking along these lines during a hospital prayer group one afternoon and one particular person said to me, 
Well, I make about $3,000 a month, and for me and my family, we've, we've got plenty. We don't need more than that. I think it would be greedy to ask God for more or to even expect more. I said, well, that's fair enough. But why don't you pray and believe God for $6,000 a month? Take your $3,000 off the top and give the other $3,000 a month to a ministry or a homeless mission, orphanage, or a church, church building project, or even to your pastor so that he can preach the gospel. He had no response. He had never thought of anyone but himself. It's not about money at all, and if you pursue money, you're gonna hit a wall. But accelerated finances are one of the canaries in the coal mine. It's just an indicator of reversing the curse. As we walk in the blessing, we can now work preaching the gospel or good news with demonstration. This is why we don't hear Jesus actually preaching the gospel we're familiar with outside of its introduction dialogue with Nicodemus. This is where he first coined the phrase, born again. The debt for sin has been paid and the pardon is included, but inside the pardon container is God's favor and delight and good pleasure. We go to heaven when we die because we have been made the righteousness of God through Jesus. But that's just the beginning or just the end, depending on how you look at it. We're made righteous in God's eyes and we are connected to His Holy Spirit. We have been given the power and the privilege to be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth, to subdue it and to take dominion. In short, we can take part in the blessing of Abraham originally preached by God to Adam. So when did this transfer take place? Sure, we know that Jesus dying for our sins is an undeniably essential confession of our Christian faith. We hear he died, we hear he died on a cross, and we hear he died for our sin. But what's not understood is that there's no place in scripture that says he had to die on a cross for our sins. If he was killed with the blow to the back of the head, he would have died for our sins. The answer is, why did Jesus die on a cross? The opposite of the blessing is the curse. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that handshake on this. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, for he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Galatians 3, 13 through 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing is the system and foundation of the kingdom of God, the dominating process or law that overrides the curse that includes all forms of sickness, disease, poverty, lack, loss, debt, depression, failure, and death. The children of Abraham are those who are of the faith, not those who have a faith. 
The blessing was the first thing Adam heard. Next, it was given to Noah and his sons. Later, it was given to Abraham and his sons, and they handed it down to their sons. A version of this blessing was handed to Jacob from Isaac, and it mentions the blessing of Abraham. Genesis 27, 26 through 29, and 28 through 3 and 4. May God give you the dew from heaven. May he give you the richness of the earth. May he give you plenty of grain and fresh wine. May nations serve you. May they bow down to you. Rule over your brothers. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. And may those who bless you be blessed. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you were a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. The fact that it's documented that God blessed all these people is significant to what we think the gospel is all about. Through Jesus, we inherited spiritual freedom and life. And through being grafted into the seed of Abraham, we've inherited worldly freedom from the curse and have inherited the blessing. If we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Let's define what the bones of the blessing entails. Also, let's demystify the term, be fruitful and multiply. It's so tiring to hear consistently that being fruitful and multiply has to do with having children. While it can include having children, the impetus is not that narrow. After all, you don't have to be particularly blessed to have children. We're already accustomed to this. And if anyone trying to explain this would just look it up in Strong's, it's so much broader than the reproduction of the species. Be fruitful, cause to grow, bring forth or increase, to grow and make bigger or extend in all things. Childbearing isn't mentioned in the Strong's definition. Multiply means be an authority, make plenteous, heap and be great. Replenish the earth means fence in fullness, presume and accomplish, subdue it, means conquer, keep under subjection, force down. And dominion means to reign or prevail or rule over. So given all of that, we can say the blessing is causing to grow anything, bring forth and increasing, to be an authority, make plenteous, heap, be great, fence in fullness, presume, accomplish and conquer and keep the earth under subjection and rule over it. God bless Noah. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue. God blessed Abraham saying, be fruitful and multiply, be great. And all families of the earth will be blessed through you. When God blessed Abraham, we see in the next chapter, he became rich in livestock and silver and gold and land. He said, I've blessed Abraham and made him fruitful and I will multiply him exceedingly. Why, why is this true? 
because the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. So the blessing is to be taken back because Jesus, the second Adam, has gained it back for us. We are to have a God kind of life. I know, a God kind of life? Are you joking? Yes, a God kind of life. Let's line it up and define it. John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. John 1, 4, In him, Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. John 10, 10, I have come that they, the men, might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. The Father's God life went to Jesus, Jesus possessed that life, and then he brought that same, same life to us even more abundantly. The blessing is counter to the curse, but many believe the curse more than they do the blessing. It stands to reason, however, because if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, it will be done unto you. As a man thinks, so is he. Traditional Christianity says Jesus died so we could be born again. Fair enough. But as I mentioned before, if born again only means going to heaven when you die, that would mean our religion is just a set of guidelines on how to live until we die. Guidelines that usually revolve around not smoking, cussing, drinking, gambling, and being a good neighbor by mowing their lawn, or giving to a charity, going to church on Sunday, or volunteering in the church nursery. In general, the idea is to be the best person you can be and raise a great family. At the same time, although the aforementioned traditional ideas are admirable pursuits, is that what Jesus was tortured and killed for? Is that what he saw while bleeding on the cross? Did he die for a set of guidelines? Many are looking for the missing links that tie all these aspects of their lives together. This begs the question, how do you lead a spiritual life without entering the spiritual realm? Especially when almost every major event chronicled in the Bible was directly connected to the supernatural. The answer is in the question, what is the gospel? How much we know about God ultimately reveals how much we know about ourselves. The logic is if we are made in his form, his likeness, and his image, then we should have a grasp on what we're supposed to be like to ourselves and others. If you know who you are in Christ, you can help govern his affairs. Those affairs occur in the kingdom, and the kingdom is the foundation of the world. There are three main governing principles in the kingdom that we take part in. We'll lay them out scripturally as well in our next three parts. The first one is the kingdom habitation of God, comprised of the anointing of God, the wisdom of God, and the royal law of love, all ruled by the word of God. If you're born again, the habitation of God is within your spirit and you're out of the world system. We live and breathe and have our being in this system. We can do all things with God 
in this realm. The second one is the language of God or how we speak. His word is part of our operation of the kingdom. His word is his bond. He calls things that are not as though they are. The word word in this case is defined as a masculine noun referring to a person according to Strong's Concordance. Words are used to communicate thoughts, desires, directions, and feelings. Speaking the Word of God becomes a tool for creation. You can speak words of life or death. Out of the abundance of your spirit, the mouth will speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. If words were unimportant, you wouldn't be urged to speak words of life. And three, authority and power of God has been transferred to mankind through Jesus to promote change. We are the change agents. This authority gives men and women in Christ the ability to take dominion on earth. The biggest hindrance to not having power in your life is believing you don't have any. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs, also heirs to God and fellow heirs with Christ. John 14, 12. Importantly, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works I do, he will do also because I go to the Father. We'll look deeper into the habitation, language, and authority of God's kingdom in the next three chapters. Meanwhile, walk in love, stand in faith, and launch out into the deep. Till next time.